And you know, we can know God. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord. I love that. When everything starts with, Thus says the Lord, I, I love it. Thus saith the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this. And this is what God wants us to boast about, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. God wants us to understand him. And so everything we have, have in this word is designed for us to know God. Does that mean we're going to understand everything all the time? No, it's not. I confess right at the beginning that it's very hard for my words to sufficiently describe the one who is greater than our ability to comprehend. It's very hard to be able to do that just from my words, to be able to show you and tell you the one who is greater. And sometimes we are able to comprehend it. Someone said this, I said, if God was small enough for our minds to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for our needs. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yes, we can know God. We can know God because he has given us his word and we know him through his word. No other way. Not through feelings, as Pastor has written this morning in our newsletter. Not through our feelings or what we feel God should be like, but what the scriptures teach. And so as we look at these attributes of God, starting with God's sovereignty a few weeks ago, I want us to remember that God is bigger than our ability to comprehend him. I know that sounds like an axiomorum, but I'll, I'll share that with you as we go. God we must remember that God is bigger than our ability to comprehend him. You see, we can understand him as far as our finite minds go. We have very finite minds. Some are more finite than others, but basically we have finite minds. And so we can know and understand him as far as our minds that God has given us and, and the Bible. But let's not make the mistake of putting God in a box that is only the size of man. And that's my desire, to share God with you. To share him to the point where you will trust him because you know him. Sometimes we find it hard to trust God because we don't know him. I'm not talking about in a salvation way when I say no, I'm not saying that we should be born again. I'm talking past that. We should know God as God. And as I said this morning, I'm going to start with two theological words, omnipresence, which means God is everywhere. And we'll spend a short time on that. Then we're going to look at omniscience. God is all-knowing. We'll spend a bit more time on that. As I said, we could look at his immutability, his holiness. I'm going to look at his wrath. You ever looked at God's wrath as a study? His truth, his faithfulness, his love, his transcendence, his, the fact of the Trinity. And maybe 
If you want to come up and not understand, you want to just tell ask me to preach on something about God. I will do that as well. To just come to me and say, I want you to explain this about God, this attribute or this characteristic of him. And I'll gladly do that as well. So omnipresence, the word is pretty much self-explanatory. God's omnipresence means that he is present everywhere. Omni means all-encompassing and then obviously presence. We don't have to worry too much about that. He's everywhere at the same time. Please turn with me to Psalm 139. Being a topical sermon, I'm not going to go through a, ver- a chapter, a verse at a time, because this is an, ex- an extension of the whole Bible. And we're going to read passages from time to time that show us where we're heading. So Psalm 139, and I'm going to read from verse 7. This is what David wrote. He said, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. This is just a small passage of David trying to put into his finite words the idea that God is everywhere. doesn't matter where he flees to. God's omnipresence means that God is present in all places. There's no place that is not without God. And you'll notice there that even hell itself, God is present. And God is not only present in all places, he's fully present in every place. Now this is beyond the scope of our mind, isn't it, when you think about it, that God is fully present in every place at all times, all the time. You see, we only have this this thing we call time-space continuum. That's what we live in. We live in clocks. We we have time. We have 24-hour days. We have a space that you and I actually fill. And that's how we live. And we don't know any different. And it's very hard to comprehend how we could be in the same spot, I mean, everywhere at once. We can't. And you know that because the clock doesn't allow it and your space doesn't allow it. And this is where we have to get past our finite minds and what we know to to, to be able to understand that God is present everywhere because he is spirit and he is without time. He is in eternity. See, when you and I get to heaven, get to glory and spend eternity with God, we're not going to have wristwatch. There's no such thing as an hour or a minute or or days or weeks. That's very hard for us to comprehend God is not confined to a three-dimensional existence. God is infinite, which means he had no beginning, he has no end, and he's not limited by human experience. He's not limited by our reason of time-space continuum. 
The only way that I can, I remember a professor telling me just a, a simple illustration to try and get around the idea of God can be how he, he is present all the time. You see, God is present now, in the past, and in the future at the same time. And the only way that I can get that explained in my mind is to use the idea of illustration of a film. Now this is, this is hard for, for young people because they're used to digital copies. Now they don't know what a film is. But you remember the olden days when the film used to be on a reel-to-reel? Well, you could look, you could open up the film and you could see the, the first little picture of the beginning and you could, if you had arms were long enough, you could see the end all at once. And so you could stand there and you could see the whole film at any point along that film. And that's how I see God. God can, is seeing at any one time your past, your present and your future. He is seeing your future right now. And this is the... the the reality of God's omnipresence. See, God doesn't age. It's the same God that has looked that was in the past, and we know that the scripture tells us that, that it changes, but it's the same God at the same instance as he looks in the past, present, and future. And so one mind can't comprehend that. This is where we have to get past our minds, our finite minds to comprehend the fact that God is and can be present, fully present, everywhere. He lives without time, he lives as spirit. He's not dimensional, he doesn't live by the clock. <coughs> the omnipresence simply means he's present in the past, present, future, at the same time, everywhere. And so as we understand that, or try to understand that, or take it by faith, remember we walk by faith and not by sight. It's one of those things sometimes we just have to take by faith because our mind, until we get to eternity and see how that works, we really don't know because we haven't tasted it. But understanding what God's omnipresence means, that he is there with you always, what does that mean practically for our lives? Because it's one thing to know that he's omnipresent. The other thing is to do is to understand what that means for you. The practicality of it. And the fact is, if God is present everywhere, firstly, you are not alone, ever. But secondly, you should live with a new sense of accountability in your lives. If God is omnipresent, then we're living before the face of God every moment of our lives. And that means everything we do is done in God's presence. David said, well, I'll wait for the night to come. God might be able to see me then. It's at night time. And he says, no, the day is as night. Or the night is as day. And so God sees everything we do. And if we remember this fact in our lives, it would certainly impact some of the things we choose to do, wouldn't it? you really thought about it, understood and truly believe that God is present with you right now in your life, it would impact the way you do things. Do you remember how you were with your parents? 
Some of you young people might even remember now how you are with your parents. When we're in the presence of our parents, you generally did what was expected, don't you? However, sometimes when we're with our friends, we go up to things we know our parents probably would disapprove of. Why do we do it then? Because we believe our parents would never find out. Oh, they won't find out, they're not here. It doesn't really change much when we're adults. When the boss is gone for the day, there's a tendency to slack off a little bit at work. Why? Because we believe no one sees us. But if we come to the realisation through God's omnipresence that God is present with us, it should affect the way we live day by day by day. One writer put it this way. He says, if we live our lives without an intense awareness of the omnipresence of God, we create one illusion after the next. We start to think, no one witnesses the way I shade the truth with a client in my office. They just hear me sing along with everyone else on Sunday morning. Or no one witnesses my pilfering or borrowing of company pens and notepads they just see me soliciting donations for the food bank. No one hears how I raise my voice at my wife, my husband or my children. All they hear is how well I pray at church. No one sees the illegal deal I'm cutting. They just see the folded check I drop in the offering bag. Now the biggest criticism, if you ask your non-Christian friends, I would almost guarantee that the biggest criticism of Christians that comes from the world is that we're hypocrites. Sad as that is. Christians act one way on Sunday, live differently every other day of the week. And sometimes, sadly, it's true. And I think it's true because we forget as Christians to think that God is not paying, or that we think God's not paying attention to us until we get here on a Sunday. And then God is there with us and we can praise Him and worship Him because we're, we're here on a Sunday. We forget about the rest of the week, the fact that God is with us. And that is faulty theology. And so if we lived and had a true sense of God's omnipresence, you and I would live much differently. There'd be a new consistency in our lives. The person we are when no one is looking would be that same person when everyone was looking. I want us to think about the next time we're about to do something that we hope no one will see, that remember that God is present. The next time you feel you're outside his jurisdiction, or God's not here, or it's dark, or whatever that Psalm 139 might have said, the next time you feel that you're outside his jurisdiction, remember that there, that place does not exist. God is everywhere. He is with you in everything you do. One person coined that we should strive to live our life before the face of God. Live your life, another person said, for an audience of one. That audience of one obviously being God. And if we think about God's omnipresence and strive and understand it, 
your work will change your life. Because people will then see you when everyone's watching the same as when no one's watching. The reality of God's omnipresence means you're not alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And because of that knowledge, it should bring our living to a different accountability. A real sense of accountability. That's God's omnipresence. He is there with us all the time. He lives in eternal eternity as spirit. No times, no clocks. He is there in the past, same God, past, present, future at the same time. And that's how he knows the future, because he's seeing it right now. This leads me on to our second word, which is omniscience. Again, the word omni and science. Science simply means knowledge. All knowledge. God has universal knowledge. All knowledge. Now, there are many, many places in the Bible this is taught, but let's turn to where pastor is taught from in Romans. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 11. Just don't have the time to go through every passage, but you've got to read Job. There's a section in Job from chapter about 35 or somewhere around there where he starts talking about God knowing everything and he doesn't know anything. But let's turn to Romans 11, 33. Remember, this is uh, now looking at God's knowledge or his omniscience. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counsellor? For who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. There are a few other things that the Bible tells us about God's knowledge that you probably know. Luke 12, 7 says he knows how much hair you have on your head. He counts, knows the count of every hair. Whenever I use that, I understand that he doesn't have to count as much for some people as others. But he knows. And I don't think he particularly cares whether you're bald or got a full head of hair. What he's saying, or what Luke is saying, that he knows everything about you. Psalm 139, which we looked at earlier, verse 4, which is previous to what we read, it says that he knows your words before you speak them. 130, Psalm 139, verse 2, he knows your thoughts before you think them. Matthew 6, 8, he knows your prayers before you pray them. Again, back to Psalm 139, verse 16, he knows everything you're going to do tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, every moment of every day, he knows what you're going to do. And that's because he's already there. He's already seeing it. Matthew 12, 36 says he knows every word you say and will someday, one day, you'll have to give an account for that word. Luke 12, verse 3, he hears every whispered word and one day it's going to be shouted from the rooftops. 
Listen to what A.W. Tozer writes of God's omniscience. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no things better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything, he is never surprised, never amazed, he never wonders, wonders about anything, nor does he seek information, nor does he ask questions. In other words, what God knows, he always known, he always has known, always will know. He's known everything, always. Past, present and future. So his omniscience is not just about what's already happened or what's happening today. His omniscience spreads to the fact of what hasn't happened yet in our lives. Try and get your mind around this, but it already has happened. To me, the, the fact like we're already in glory. As born-again believers, we are already in glory. And we will, that can't be taken away from us. It's written in cement, is probably the best way I can say. And we're going to get there one day, but we're not there yet. But if it has happened, you are glorified. That's what Romans and pastors spoke about in Romans chapter 8. You are already glorified. It just hasn't happened yet in our continuum of time. So he knows everything. He's always known everything. He's not amazed. Nothing takes him by surprise because he always knows it. He doesn't ask questions because he, he knows it already. He doesn't seek information because he already has it. And so God's omniscience should also help us to live. Because of his omniscience, I want to talk about two aspects of our lives because of God's omniscience. And the first one is because he's omniscient, he knows who you are. And the second one is, because he's omniscient, he knows your situation and what's going to happen. Let's have a look at first, he knows who we are. And if he knows who you are, then he knows your secrets. If God knows everything, it means that he knows all those things you are hoping that someone would never find out. He knows them. He knows the things you've done. He knows the things you've thought. He knows the true intention of your deeds. Jeremiah 16, 17 says, God says, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. You know, we spend a great deal of time trying to create a good image. We've... Um, become masters of putting on good spin on whatever we're doing or whatever we've done. The truth is church people are pretty good at this. We put on good clothes and we present ourselves as together and dedicated followers of the Lord and if we're getting really good we learn the jargon and we, we uh, present ourselves as spiritual but sometimes all we're doing, doing is, is um, selling an image. But God knows you intimately. The things that you are hiding from other people are not hidden from God. And so because God knows who we are, he also knows your scars. God knows your pain. 
You know, one of the things that makes us feel most isolated in, in life is feeling like no one understands. I wonder if we've felt like that occasionally. No one understands. People may be kind and well-meaning, but they don't really understand. But God does. He knows your disappointments. He knows the depth of your loss. He knows about the way others have hurt you. He knows about the time others have betrayed you. He knows the false accusations that have been levelled against you. He knows about the times you've worked really hard to help someone but it, it fell apart. When you feel that no one understands you because of God's omniscience, he does understand you. In fact, I want to go as far to say only God understands you. He's the only one with all the information. Now, one of the things you learn early in counselling is that you should never tell someone, I understand what you're going through. It's not a, not a, not a set of words that you really should some, tell someone, say to someone who, who's aching. For instance, when we have someone close to us die, each loss is different. Yes, you might have had someone die, but this person's loss might have been greater or lesser based on the nature of the relationship. You don't know how these two people really felt about each other. You don't know what they've shared. You don't know what their dreams were. You don't know what they longed to have together. And see, there's really no way for us to really understand someone else. But God has all that information. He does understand. When you really think about it, you'll come to realise that God understands you even better than you do. Not a single tear has gone unnoticed in your life. Not a single fear is overlooked. Not one pain that you have endured, you have endured alone. God knows you. He knows your secrets. He knows your scars. And he knows your service. One writer puts it this way. He says, God is the note-taking heavenly observer. He knows about the time you bit your tongue when you could have con contributed to a rumour. He takes notice every time you breathe a stranger or visit a person in a hospital or prison. Every secret act of character, conviction and courage has been observed in living colour by our omniscient God. And that's great news. We don't have to... He knows what we're doing. He knows when no one else notices. God knows. God knows your heart. He knows that there are times when we worked hard and thought it was for nothing, but, but it wasn't. God was there. He's the, the audience of one. Maybe you fit into some of these categories. The person who is conscientious about making God's house look nice, but no one notices. The person who teaches year after year in Sunday school. The person who faithfully stops by and visits, either in a hospital or, or in their homes. The person who provides a meal. The person who's always doing what they can to help. The person who is taken on a ministry. Often these people are, are often forgotten and unappreciated, but God sees. And we're not working those things for adoration. We're not working for them. We're working to the audience of one. And God sees it. The audience of one does not miss a thing. No act of love in his name is missed. Now he knows it. He knows your scars. He knows your ministry. He knows you in and out. 
But God's omniscience also means because he is always present in the, in the future as well as now, he knows your situation. See, God has the big picture of your life. He sees what you and I don't see. He knows the unknowable of what is coming. He knows where you're headed. You might think you do, but God knows. For most of us, life is a mystery. It's like driving in the fog. You can only see so much ahead of you. And that's what, that's what life is for us. We live our lives, but our plans are a little bit tentative because we don't know what surprise is going to come around the bend, but we plan it, and God wants us to plan and live life. But God does know what's coming up in life. God knows where he's taking your life and he knows what it is that he's using to accomplish that purpose. So he sees the big picture and I know I've used this illustration before but it's the only one that helps me and that is the, the life of a tapestry. You look at the front of a tapestry and you've got this beautiful picture. You look behind the tapestry and there's just wires going everywhere or rope or wool going everywhere. You look at the back of the tapestry and you think, goodness, how can you make anything out of that mess? Well, that's my life. Going here and there and what it seems like, I'm just being from pillar to post. When you look at the front of the tapestry, you've got this beautiful picture that only God sees. And even though we may not see where things are going, the fact that God's omniscience assures us that we're not wandering aimlessly. And born again believers, you are not wandering aimlessly. Ephesians chapter three, or chapter two. You know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not as any result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse ten says, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works." which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God has prepared from eternity past for your picture to come out nice at the front of the tapestry. But we only see the back. We think we're wandering aimlessly, but we have to understand God's omniscience means that God has a plan. He knows where he wants you to be in the future because it's already there. He knows what we're going to become. He knows what obstacles then we'll have to overcome. God, only, God knows the way home, no matter how lost you may feel at any one time. And because God knows where we're heading and what we're going through, he knows why we're having to suffer. You know, I believe with all my heart that suffering is not for nothing. And when I went through the book of James, that comes out immeasurably as long as also Peter when he writes to the scattered 12 tribes and he talks about the idea of your your fiery trials don't think of them as as a mistake not for one minute do I think the pains of life are the results of an arbitrary uh, arbitrary events that just happen God allows the hurts and the pains for a reason and often, more than often, we're not able to understand many of these things. We can't see what's beyond this life, but God can. And so God is seeing the purpose. He's the one that understands why it's so baffling to us 
God alone has that eternal perspective. We don't have it. As an illustration, it's like when you have to bring your children into their vaccinations. As a parent, you know the reason for these shots. You know why you're taking your child there. You're preparing your child to survive an important disease. And so you're willingly taking your child to a doctor who is going to inflict pain. Or more importantly, probably the nurse that's going to inflict this pain. And you do it as a parent because you see the big picture. What about the child's perspective of this time? They may feel a little bit betrayed, a little bit abused, a little bit set up. Why did you bring me here to get me stabbed with these things that made me cry? How could you, as a parent, allow me to take this? How can you do that to me? Is it because we as parents are powerless to protect the child from that situation? Absolutely not. What the child doesn't understand and what we don't understand sometimes is that even the pain has come because of love. I know it's only an illustration, but it's a, a, to me it helps me to understand that I can keep that child from pain, but because of what I know and my love for that child, I want to sustain that pain. When we're wounded and feeling the ache of loss or disappointment, we must remind ourselves that God has an answer to the question why. He really does. He knows why. Sometimes we don't. And even though we don't understand why, it does not mean there's no answer. It's just that we have not been told. Because God is omniscient, He knows who you are. He knows your scars. He knows your wounds. Because He's omniscient, He knows your situation. He knows why you're going through the things that you do. Before I close, I want to bring in a, a few life lessons that can be learned from the fact that God is all-knowing. One of those life lessons in the fact that God is all-knowing is it is foolish to be anything but honest with God anyway because he's all-knowing. Have you ever tried to love a parent who already knew the truth? It doesn't work. It's futile and usually irritates the parent. There's absolutely no use in playing games with God. I find it so refreshing to be able to come to God in prayer and be honest with Him. I can say, Lord, I know you want me to forgive people, but you also know I was really hurt by that person. You know I don't want to forgive, I want to get even, I want to destroy them, I want you to bring fire upon them. Lord, you're going to have to help me to get through this. God knows you, you don't have to go with Him piously. David cried out in his psalms many times, Lord, why are you doing this? God is big enough to take your questions. You need to be honest with God. You don't have to, be, you don't have to pretend to be spiritual with God. He knows. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're thinking. Don't try and pretend. 
You know, there's, love, there's no love more transforming than a love that knows the truth, but loves anyway. Isn't that? A love that knows the truth, but loves anyway. And that's the way God loves you. He knows the truth about you, but he loves you anyway. So why lie to him? A second lesson in life might be the idea of it's unnecessary to waste time keeping score if God knows everything. You see, we don't like it when someone gets something, particularly at work, that we deserve. We want credit for what we did. We want payment for what we produced. We want the world to notice that we did something noble. But we don't have to keep score because God will make sure all accounts are settled. No deed is going to go unnoticed. No good will go unrewarded. We'll be vindicated for all the false false judgments. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so instead of looking back, we should look ahead. Instead of looking at others and what they're getting, look to God. I think the problem is sometimes we have a much more inflated view of ourselves than we should. We suffer from selective memory. We remember the good that we do and we forget the rest. But God sees it all. And you know, fortunately, I praise God, as born-again believers, those of us who trust in Christ, God is going to reward every act of faithfulness and thank God he has forgiven us for all the rest. What a glorious God that we have. God hasn't and doesn't miss a thing in your life. The third lesson and the last lesson that I want to bring this morning about God's omniscience, a life lesson, is that if God is omniscient, isn't it wise to commit our ways to him? Wouldn't that be a wise thing to do? It's a simple conclusion. If God is all wise, all knowing, He knows everything there is to know and if God alone knows the best way for you and I, shouldn't we listen to him? Shouldn't we trust him in what's happening in our lives? A simple conclusion but one that should have ramifications in our lives. To to know that God knows what is best for me so as I follow him, as he leads, He will direct me to where I need to go. Jesus told us, if we love him, we'll do what he commands. And so the true evidence of belief is not what you say. It's not the singing that we do. A true evidence of belief and trust in God is the willingness to trust him for our daily living. So will you trust him? Even in the hard things. Learning about God is merely an academic exercise. We can learn about God. But it's only, it's only an academic exercise unless we learn to turn to God. It's one thing to know about Him, it's another thing to turn to Him and trust Him. And so this is my challenge this morning as we look at these Omnipresence and omniscience and next week's, next week's omnipotence and even on beyond that to 
to his faithfulness, his love, the Trinity, immutability, transcendence, everything that God is. The challenge that I give you this morning and every other morning from now on is to entrust yourself to God who knows what he's doing. Entrust yourself to, to the God who knows everything, who is present with you everywhere. Entrust yourself to him. Give yourself fully to the one who gave you his son out of the desire to win your heart. Trust him. I probably could sing a song. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy or blessed in Jesus than to trust and obey. And that's not easy. I do come to you this morning and I say it's not easy to trust him. Because we can't see the future. We dearly really want to see what's around the corner. We want to know if this decision I'm going to make is right. We really want to know. But God has given us a clock. He's given us time. So therefore we need to trust him who has no time, who is already there in the future, who knows what is best for you. Let's turn to let's uh, pray together. Father, we thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. We thank you for that. We thank you for the knowledge that we need a, a God who is bigger than us, who knows more than us. We thank you for your word that helps us to comprehend how big and awesome our God is. And at times, Father, when we have to live by faith, that we can't see the answer to the whys. Sometimes, Lord, you don't give us the why, you just give us the, the idea that we need to be faithful to you. And so I pray, Father, that as we've just looked at these two characteristics of yourself, I pray, Father, that you'll help us to remember and understand that we are living to the audience of one, that you are always, everywhere, at all times, and that, Father, your knowledge cannot be built upon. It is there, always will be there. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to live like that and to live as people who know that God, our God, is who he is. And I thank you for this time that we can spend together. And thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.